On this episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, I have Tom Liebelt. Tom is a serial online entrepreneur who has started numerous companies and exited them successfully. And he is now creating online courses and helping others market their online courses. The great thing is Tom also does business on his own terms. Check out this episode. You're going to enjoy it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent. Super excited to have Tom Liebelt here all the way from Thailand. Tom, why don't you jump in? Give us a quick little intro about yourself. Quick little intro, right? Like on, on the hundreds <laughs> of things I've done. Yeah, I, I, always, I always like that. Just a little intro. I don't know. Been in business for a long time. Uh, been in sales for a long time. I think I've had... Uh, three brick and mortar businesses, maybe seven or eight online businesses. I was in the music industry um, as an artist, engineer, um, filmed a documentary, um, quite a few things. Basically, a guy who finishes what he starts. That's why. That, that, you know, yeah. Published uh, 5,000 Kindle books. Like, there's just so many things that you know, people always wonder about. But yeah, yeah. many things, many things. Uh, absolutely. And right now you're mainly doing marketing, correct? Yeah, yeah. I got back into the marketing space and I found um, from stuff I was doing previously um, that we wanted to concentrate on the e-learning space, right? So we tried two different businesses at the same time. One was the course creation business. One was the marketing courses business because I had experience in both. We hated the course creation business. Um, a lot of babysitting, hand-holding, which is not what I I'm kind of built for and we stuck with the marketing business and it's been just booked up since and now we're looking at other things too that we want to get into yeah the on the course creation is a big deal right now uh, but even more important you market the online courses which is awesome how how would you know that uh, a course is going to be successful versus not going to be successful like you can obviously been around it a lot you get your eyes on it. How can you tell what's going to be successful? Um, a couple of things, right? Most of it is experience, right? Like if I look at something and I'm going through it as a client, does this make me want to buy it or not? And there are a couple of different you know, reasons why I would buy a course. Um, but the main ones, um, let's put it that way, this way. Um, if you have a, the type of course I'm about to mention now, it is going to sell. And that's one with an external urgency, right? So let me give you an example. Um, a lot of jobs, you know, before you get them, they'll tell you you need to pass some kind of an exam, whether it's a CPA exam, a Series 6, Series 7, or whatever it is, some, yeah. some type of exam. Um, if you will teach someone within, let's say, 14 days or 21 days how to pass this exam, it's a slam dunk. Yeah, Because, you know, you don't need to fake urgency. You don't need to fake the transformation or even explain it. You don't need to put a value on it. Everything is set in place already. Mm-hmm. You know, the person knows if I don't pass this exam, I'm not getting a job, which means it's very valuable. It's urgent because I have a deadline. And what's the value of it? Well, how much is this job going to pay? Like, you know, it's all set in stone, right? Right. Um, and then anything that is not that type of a course you have to put those in place, right? So it becomes a little harder and harder and harder, right? And the most difficult ones are with like wishy-washy transformations, you know, like I'm going to teach you how to be happy or teach you how to 
find peace through meditation or I had this one lady, she, um, she had a good idea, but a horrible positioning on the course, right? Like she okay. was trying to help people uh, build a certain type of business. Um, I don't want to mention like, you know, what it is. Right. Um, and I had someone in that same space making over half a million dollars doing the same thing. So I'm like, obviously there's a market for it, you know? Um, and I told her, well, anytime you're selling a course and building a business, well, the people are only interested in one thing. How do I get clients, make money and solve the other problem, which usually is fulfillment or whatever, right? And like, you know, hiring, blah, blah, blah. But the main thing is money solves a lot of these problems. So how do I make enough money in my business to solve these problems, right? <clears throat> and she's like, yeah, 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 I don't want to go that route. So what I want to do is tell people how to be less anxious while building this business. And I'm like, well, anxiety is a very uh, difficult thing to put a value on. Right. I put zero on it. You know what I mean? And, and if there's a very anxious person, maybe they will put a higher value on it, but also maybe they shouldn't be running a business in the first place. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I get that. you know, it didn't do as well as she wanted to. Um, and I, you know, tried to coach her along a little bit, but I said, look, it's not a really good fit because you're not listening to what I'm saying here. You know, like I'm, I'm trying to tell you what will work and then, but those type are really hard, man. Like, you know, if you're trying to put a value on something that most people don't really value as much, right? Mm -hmm. Because think about this. If you're asking me to put a value on something like anxiety, right? Wouldn't it be easier if you just told me I'll help you make $4,000, which is what's causing my anxiety? Right. You know what I mean? There's no value you can assign to anxiety, so you got to create a value that they can relate to, and yeah. $4,000 extra a month would do it, you know? Would do it, right? For some people, could be five, right. could be three, whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. But that would, you know, if something's causing the anxiety, try to tackle that instead then try to put in this weird value like, oh, I'm just going to teach you how to run this business without anxiety. Look, you can't stop someone's anxiety if you don't fix the main problem. Mm -hmm. And that's why the course was flawed, you know? Um, and, you know, once again, you need a transformation in the course, right? Like you need to tell a person like, I'm going to take you from A to B, you know? And, and not like nonsense, like I'm going to help you manifest things out of the sky because you can't, you know, promise that stuff. So, we don't work with any of these type of clients, but if you have like a solid transformation, like, you know, I will teach you how to draw this type of art, or I will teach you how to play this song on a piano. Mm -hmm. Like all of these work because people are like, Oh wow. You know, maybe the playing the song isn't super valuable, but if you put them in a place mentally, you can rock up to a coffee shop. That's got a piano, a lot of cute girls around, and you start playing the song that's most famous on the radio now, like it's nothing, believe me, you're going to get some attention. Is that <laughs> valuable? Right? You know what I mean? Right. So you sort of have to, you know, if, if it's not an easy value, you have to kind of put that value up. You've got to, you know, help them visualize like how, why is this valuable? And that's why it becomes a little tougher, you know, then like I'm going to help you pass the CPA exam because then you, there's nothing else that needs to be said. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's what I'm looking for, right? Like a solid transformation. Um, can we put a value on it? And, and one thing to consider too, 
Um, the online course business is the perfect business model if done right, but it has one part which makes it a little harder to start than some of the other ones, right? If you're starting a product business, service business, coaching business, almost anything, the main thing that people look for is does the solution meet the audience, right? Right. So the thing that you know I'm solving, does it meet the need of the business? With a course, there's also a third component, and that's the likability of the instructor. Because if someone doesn't like the instructor, doesn't like listening to them, doesn't like how they teach, well, if everything else is in place, you lost them, right? You're right. So sometimes, you know, um, that could be a problem too. If something's not selling, in this case, it could be you, you know? Like most times you say like, well, it's probably something else, but in this, yeah, you know, maybe it's you. Um, and what I'm seeing in the more advanced e-learning spaces, which is South Korea and China a little bit, but South Korea is one of the most advanced ones right now. Um, the, the best teachers are actually entertainers and they have a huge following and are many celebrities. Yeah. So that's sort of the way this is going, right? We're, we're moving from this, you know, I'm putting a bunch of info out to like, you know, there needs to be a kind of presence behind and I think in five, 10 years, and you're seeing this with Masterclass a little bit. Right. I was going to, I was going to mention Masterclass as they bring the celebrities yeah. on and the, the people who are known in the industry for doing that. And yeah, so, teach the class. but those are actual celebrities, right? So they're right. really playing on that, on that piece, right? So it's more of like, I'm going to have a celebrity bring, hmm, okay, knowledge out. Because if you've seen many Masterclasses, they're like, you know, uh, they're okay. Yeah. But for, you know, the regular teachers like it's it's going to get get a little tougher right because it's not only that you will have to be able to teach you have to be entertaining you know and you're going to have to build these platforms just like we all have to build these platforms right and you know we could say it's a good or a bad thing but you know that's the reality of the more advanced markets which means eventually we will move into that same type of space and you know with masterclass you sort of already have to compete with it like if you're a beat maker right you know, and right. I've had a couple of friends who are like, oh, I want to teach people how to make beats. I was like, you better be good and entertaining because Timbaland's got a class out. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, you watch Timbaland, you know, he's entertaining. He's all into it. Even if he doesn't teach you as well as this guy, I still probably take a class from Timbaland first, you know, which is <laughs> kind of, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's definitely transforming. Um, but during, you know, the COVID situation and everything, um, I've spoken to, you know, a lot of platform owners because, you know, I have a hundred something clients, but they have 70, 80,000. They have a little more of an insight. Um, most people made more in April than they have done in the whole year before. More wow. people had their first sale of an online course within the last two months than ever before on the platform. Hmm. Um, so for my industry, luckily, it's a great time. You know, for some others, not as much, but it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that, you know, South Korea is one of the more advanced markets in this online course. Um, why is it that you've chosen Thailand as kind of your base? And why is that a place that you recommend a, a business start nowadays? Well, so the thing about Thailand, like I've lived all over 
the world. Like I tried at least 14, 15 countries for multiple months um, and find that this place, um, I mean, other than the last three months, you know, which, which has been right. tough everywhere, um, is very easy to set up. There's not many other places in the world where you can land and on the same day, rent a car, rent a bike, get an apartment and set up everything. Hmm. Join a co-working space, which there were like 40, 50 of them. Now there's a little bit less. Um, and have two or 3,000 other people on laptops from the West running businesses in yeah. one town, which is Chiang Mai, right? There's not that many places in the world where you have that. Like I've had some decent ones, like I would move in, get set up fairly quickly, not as quick. Um, but I found that the people working on laptops and things were still doing local stuff, right? So I'm like, mm, that's not really interesting to me. But here, for the most part, it's people doing their own thing, whether it's drop shipping, marketing, um, graph, like whatever it is. Like they're all working on laptop and they're making money somewhere else. Right. So that's why it's a great place. And it's fairly inexpensive. Like you will, I mean, like my lifestyle is a little higher than most here, but for about 30% of what you would be paying in a U.S. city, you can probably live at the same level. Wow. Which, you know, is not a bad thing. Also, um, there is a rule in the States that if you stay out of the country for 330 days, you don't pay taxes on, their, on the first 100K, which for most okay. people starting out, that's money back in your pocket, you know. Um, a lot of reasons like that. Um, it's, it's just an easier place, right? Just you, you get thrown into like a little hustle environment and everyone's trying to make it, you know. Um, yeah, I would say for those reasons. Um, and okay. South Korea, I only mentioned because it's you know, relevant to my industry and right. what's happening. But I don't want to live in South Korea and I don't want to deal with those entertaining teachers. Like I like my own markets, but I just watch what's happening because it's my industry. Yeah, yeah, of course. You got to keep, keep your eye on what's going on within your industry and you know, keep a pulse on those things. So I totally understand. Um, so you mentioned you know, some of these people that you've um, helped out and you know, some of these influencers in this space what have you learned from speaking to, you know, over a hundred different influencers um, while you're marketing? The two things that, you know, really stuck out and, you know, these are very basic things, but, you know, don't underestimate persistence and luck. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Th th those two things will do more than almost anything else, you know, as long as you're persistent, putting in the work every day and you're a lucky person. And this is hard to kind of justify how, what's lucky, you know, there are books on it. Um, but if you're, a, if you're a fairly lucky person and you're doing sort of the right things in a fairly good industry, it's, it's going to happen at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's what I've seen. And, you know, it happens quicker for some people, you know, like, and, and often the thing that you hate starting out because it's hard becomes the thing that you're able to make 8 million off in two years. Um, but it still comes down to grinding it out and luck for the most part. So, and this has been all across the board. And, and you'd be surprised how many of um, the most successful people quietly ask me, like, do you think I just got lucky? And I'm like, well, you definitely got lucky. We all have those, you know, moments where we 
get luck, but it comes from being persistent too. You know, if you weren't doing anything during this time, the luck right. would have passed, you know, passed you by. So, and this is hard to say, like they don't teach this in school. Like they say like, oh, just keep grinding and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Not really, not really. <laughs> you know, there are so many people working so hard their whole lives and never make anything because they haven't been in the right place. They haven't, you know, and that's the thing too, kind of working on the right thing, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's also something that you have to look at. Like before I start any business, I'm looking, looking at it sort of like a stock market. Is the trend up or down in the industry, right? Because if it's trending down, you know, you're going to need much more luck than if it's trending up. And then I always put constraints on my business because if you don't, the business will grow to whatever it wants to grow and you're going to find yourself hating what you're doing, right? Like mm-hmm. my constraints are, I don't want to have one-in-one meetings. I don't want to have employees around me. They should be all remote working up systems, processes. Like, like there's so many things. Like I don't want to do phone calls or webinars after 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Like whatever things I set up, right? you know, it just means that when the business kind of grows and maybe it's a little harder to grow it because there are these constraints, but once it grows, like I'm having a good time. Yeah. You know, and I find that's important. And I messed this up a lot before. That's why I changed. And now that's the way I do it. <laughs> Experience is the best teacher, right? It's, uh, it's definitely the toughest teacher, right? For sure. So you mentioned that, you know, persistence is one of those key things. Having started so many businesses, and as you said, you finish what you start. How do you keep that persistence, keep going towards those goals when so many entrepreneurs are you know, going after their dream business or whatever the case may be, and they get stuck or they can't make it work in their mind. How do you keep going? So when, when I'm starting a business um, and not every business is the same, so you can't put this blanket statement. I had blank. I hate blanket statements because they don't usually work out. Some businesses I will kind of look at, as a stock again, right? Like I will have like a stop option on it. If we don't get X number of clients by this date, we take this thing behind the bar and we shoot it and never look back. (laughs) That could be one type of business. A second type of business I might look at in a way where I'm putting constraints on it. I'm doing everything I think is good. The industry's trending up and this is the course creation business, right? But I find out after two, three months, I just don't enjoy this. Okay. You know, let's kill it off too. There's nothing, there's so much, only so much time we have. Like I want to work on stuff I enjoy, right? So as long as you find a business that's kind of trending up, doesn't annoy you too much, making money, you know, why would you stop? I like my business, like I take whichever clients I want to work with. I don't work that many hours. I work on my other stuff. Um, if anyone annoys me, they get fired immediately, whether it's a client or a worker. Um, and, you know, like the people I work with, I love it because I only have the right clients. I only have the right people, you know, in, in the company. So it's it's not really a grind at that point. It's like, yeah, we're moving forward. We're, you know, persistent, but it's it's just normal, right? Like I just come in, do my work and, you know, work on my other stuff, some other ideas and go and enjoy my life, right? Like that's, that's it. Um, but if you don't set up your business in a way um, where it's going to work like that, it's, it's more difficult. That's when the grind really comes in, right? Like that's usually the beginning because you're working it out, you know, and then that's where the kind of hustle has its place, 
you know, when you're starting a business because you don't know what you don't know. Right. So all the assumptions you have, like how I'm going to get clients, how this is going to get fulfilled, the guarantees, the expectations, all this stuff, like you, you don't know. So you want to hustle as hard as you can to figure it out fast. And then you make that decision. Like, is this something we're going to continue with? Is this something we're going to sell or kill it? You know? So always just have, yeah. So always have it, you know, in the back of your head when you're starting it out, like, you know, what are my exit strategies for this? Okay. So a lot more preparation on the front end than probably a lot of people do in, in your strategies for getting out of that business. Not necessarily. I mean, a lot of people plan out, you know, how they're going to get a client or, you know, what it's going to take to exit their nine to five, but you're, you're saying plan a little bit more on when to pull the plug. Yeah, because look, like I've done it that way you mentioned initially, many businesses, and they've always grown into things which I wasn't necessarily okay with. You know, because I didn't put those constraints on them. I didn't have an exit plan. It's like, well, I'm grinding it out. This business is doing its own thing now. I'm not actually enjoying myself. Like I had this one business. I had to do webinars for clients at like 11 p.m. I'm like, this is horrible. This is worse than my job before. Like it, and the, you know, the moment you think, and it's always good to have crappy jobs when you're in your early 20s, so you can always look back on those. But the moment your business becomes almost as crappy as the job you had, that's time to you know, either fix it or shut it down. And that's what I did. Um, but it's because I didn't have that preparation, right? That's why now I put, you know, I, I used to put like small constraints after a while. Like I will not meet with clients in person, but I didn't put them on like my time and on all the other stuff, like what kind of clients I'll work with. So I took clients who, you know, ask for a discount and they're always a problem. So now if anyone asks me for a discount, I'm like, thank you. We're, we're not a good fit. You know, yeah. I just don't even have to, you know, think about it. Um, but these things, you know, do happen through experience too. Like you kind of, you have to kind of figure out like which clients will cause problems, which, you know, there's like, it, it does take a little bit of time. It's not a day one um, realization. Yeah. So how do you know quickly whether this business is, this business idea you have is working well and you need to jump to the next thing? Like, is there a key point where you realize that, this isn't going to be what you want it to be? Well, again, it depends on the type of business, right? Mm -hmm. A service business, you should be able to get a client in a week. That's the easiest business to start. As long as you have your positioning fairly right and you know what you're doing, it's it's super simple, super simple. Like you can, you know, start that overnight. Um, An online course business is a little harder, right? Because, well, do you have a platform? Um, We need to validate the idea. it's, it, it takes a bit more time. Uh, a software business, well, it, it's going to take longer. You know, those have very good payouts, but they're the longest to build. You know, that's why when you see a company that takes investment, you know, they're burning through investment for a year or two. Why? Because it's hard to get subscription, let's say, um, customers in the beginning. You know, it could take you a year or two to make a decent income. So okay. you need to also understand first what type of business you're starting. But let's say we're doing a service business. And if you're in your month three without customers, like, dude, it's like, what are you still doing? <laughs> you're like, you're messing up the easiest business model in the world. You know, like there's something wrong. Either it's you, your offer, positioning, the audience, like something is off. You should have fixed this within a week or two. 
But if it's a software business, then I don't know. Like maybe it's just going to take, you know, are you targeting the right niche, the audience with the right thing? And it's still going to take, you know, a while to get enough subscriptions in. And then what's your churn rate like? Churn rate like? If you're losing, you know, 50% of the people every six months, you know, that's that's going to make it even longer to build it up. You know what I mean? Like it it's, depends right. on the business model too, um, yeah. quite a bit. With online courses, the validation is very important. And what, what I've seen happen is people come to me with an already built online course that they haven't sold to anyone. And I'm like, oh, you just messed up. <laughs> because the positioning could be off. And I've seen this, right? Like I had someone trying to sell a public speaking course, but people wanted a persuasion speaking course more, right? The audience, just that's what they wanted. And I'm like, well, I can sell this, but you got the wrong course. You know, because it doesn't fit the market. Like, I know you want to sell it, but nobody cares what you want. Right. That's the reality. So, and another thing I found with online courses, um, in a, I would say 70% of the spaces, it actually would be easier for me to just pay someone to build a course and me sell it because marketing is 80% of it, you know, like it's. It really is. And, you know, sometimes when a client's a little difficult in the beginning, I'm like, like, you know, you're like the least important thing in this whole equation. Like, I could just <laughs> pay someone. <laughs> I could actually just pay someone, unless they're, you know, in a very niche place. They have specialized knowledge, right, which, like, no one really has. And I had a couple of these clients. I love working with them. Because I'm like, well, you're not really replaceable which makes your course valuable right there. But if you're, you know, replaceable, like you're just teaching like a, how to be a freelancer or something, I'm like, you know, you're like the least important thing here. Like, seriously, it's all going to come down to the positioning, the offer, the audience, and just how we can, you know, make that stick. Like, nobody cares, really. Like, I could replace yeah. you with another guy that's going to teach freelancing. And those are more difficult clients who I often just say, mm, unless I really think that they have the personality they're entertaining, I just let them go because I know it's going to be one of those like, you know, it's going to be too much work on my end. Okay. Yeah. Get- so, you know, it's, but that's business, man. That's business. Right. right. So going back a little bit on, you know, what the audience wants. Um, I was speaking with somebody who was writing a book and they had it all laid out. They had, they had this idea. This is what people want. And then they just decided on a whim, hey, I'm going to put it out to my audience. What kind of things do you look for in a business book? And it was completely different. It was very basic, very rudimentary. You know, this gentleman I was talking to, he's like, wow, like I, I thought people wanted this. And then what they wanted was, you know, the most basic things, the, the simplest things. It was easy for me to write right to that audience. And now he's sold, you know, a significant amount of copies of his book just because he's, he wrote the book for the audience rather than what he wanted. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge difference, man. You're completely right. That's, you know, that's the big thing. What the audience wants is what you have to put out. And, you know, it might not be the easiest thing, but I mean, you know, you need to know your audience. You really do. Like I, I often like uh, doing a bit of a service business before I do anything else mm-hmm. because I at least, you know, get the customers on the phone and I figure out what they need, what they want, what kind of customers and what they don't like. And it's very easy for me then to build something else than just having so many assumptions, you know? Right. 
So yeah, like with the book, uh, I had a friend too who wrote, I think, four bestsellers now. And the way he does it is he just starts tweeting out ideas mm-hmm. and the ideas that kind of work based on engagement. He makes those into paragraphs. He shares a little more nuggets. And if those work, he puts those into chapters and they become bestsellers. It's like, wow. it's the simplest thing. Like he basically, he tweets his whole book out before it's written and then it sells. <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a great way to uh, pull the audience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually tells them like, like guys, just so you know, like I'm writing exactly what you can find for free and they all still buy it, hmm. which, yeah, you know, but that's, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. So you've said you've written, you know, over 5,000 Kindle books. Uh, how do you go through that process creation? So you make sure you're writing for the right audience. So what we did um, and that business is not around anymore. Um, when we had our SEO business and we were um, dealing a lot with blog networks, which is what everyone was doing back in the days in the SEO business. Right. At one point, Google smartened up and they shut down all these, you know, Google blog networks, blah, blah, blah. And I had a team of 14 writers who were amazing with the blog posts, everything, and I didn't want to fire them. And it was a moment where, once again, the trend, right? The mm-hmm. Kindles are trending up very slowly back then. Um, and I just pushed them over from doing keyword research and writing these blog posts to doing keyword research and writing Kindle books. Okay. Right? And that became actually very successful in a way business, um, but also a horrible business. And we can talk about that in a bit. Um, but it was just based on what people wanted. Well, it's the keyword research. They were searching for these keywords and these keywords were what the books were around. And, you know, when people search for the same type of keywords in Amazon, they found the books and they sold, right? So it was all based on what the audience wanted. Yeah. Have you, uh, so kind of related to that, have you done any Amazon FBA type work? I, I, I don't. Um, okay. And this is because of the Kindle business. Um, I will no longer ever start any type of business like that. Okay. So th- I was curious though, because there's lots of tools to, you know, help you find what people are searching for on Amazon through some of these FBA platforms. Yeah. So wondering if those translated to the books as well. Um, no, no, we were uh, simply uh, moving over all our knowledge from just our Google keyword research okay. into Amazon. Like it was, it was very basic. This was maybe nine, 10 years ago. Okay. So yeah, definitely a different environment in, you know, Amazon in general at that point in time. It was very different. Like that was back when you could still get a dollar something for a rental of your ebook. Okay. You know, yeah, definitely not was, the case now. No, which was about 50% of our whole business, the Kindle business, the rentals. Yeah. And we actually wrote to get the rentals. So we put much more emphasis on copywriting in the description and the headline because we wanted people to get the book just to rent it, you know, because it was just, okay. you know, the more, yeah. So we, that was a, a big part of it. Okay. So you said, mentioned though that there was a, downside to that business what could you elaborate on that a little bit more sure the downside is amazon (laughs) i I understand that (laughs) so we we do not um start any businesses um anymore built or dependent on any one platform makes sense right 
Um, and it was just for a lot of different reasons. Like, like when Amazon decided they're not going to pay rentals anymore, well, there goes half of our business. So we had to redo the books to now get people to look at as many pages as possible when they rent. Now, remember that transition? Mm-hmm. We got pretty slick too. You know, we used to say, you know, in the first paragraph on the book, like, you know, we're going to um, click here to skip to the last page. You're going to get some of the best nuggets from the book and then go back to read the whole, you know. So we, we kind of played back, but it was just, you know what? I don't like the control. I don't like the control of someone else. Um, this is why with the SEO business, we kind of transformed it too, to like more foundational now. Like we make sure the website yeah. works well, everything. Um, because we don't want to, you know, be reliant on Google's whims, you know? Right. And right quality people, content. Yeah. Yeah. Those people that play to, to the Google algorithm get screwed over when they change the algorithm. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like Google will say, like, get quality backlinks and quality content. What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, seriously, you know, you could have 10 people give 10 different definitions. And, you know, sometimes you're lucky and it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Like we had, you know, systems in place. We could do the same exact thing for two different businesses in the same niche and it worked differently. And I'm like, you know, like, seriously, like this, you know, once again, service business, super easy to get into, easy to make money, but we just didn't enjoy that part of it that, you know, like we can't really ever know what's going to happen. So yeah. never again. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got uh, a friend who is involved in the Amazon FBA business and he very clearly states it could be taken away at any point in time because Amazon now decides to get into that market with their Amazon basics products or they, you know, don't like the way he words things and shuts off the listing. And so he's at least understanding that that's part of the game. But yeah, and, and I, this I is the same. It's, yeah, it's not for yeah, everyone. This is the same in every industry, man. Like I've seen people um, build businesses around like lead generation on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and now they all want to get out for different reasons, you know, because of the way things changed. Um, and the e-learning space, you know, I've had customers that were making great money on Udemy. You know, one was making about a quarter million dollars, and one day Udemy decided to delete fifteen hundred reviews. Wow. You know, I'm just saying there's no control, right? So any of these non-controlled businesses is not something we're going to build. I'm not saying we won't use these platforms a little bit to help our business, mm-hmm. but we will not ever build something stupid like a TikTok marketing agency or, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's just, we will never go in that again. So with my business now, if Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter died off, I could care less, like really could care less. Because mm-hmm. I've built it the harder way, right? And and I think that's something that you should consider too when you're you know starting a business. You know, like who really controls it? Is it me, or do I just think I control it? Right. Yeah. So, do you create your courses then on their own website and just use some of those resources to drive traffic funnel to to that? Course? Yeah, I always tell people, and like all all the clients. Uh, don't let anyone own your sales pages, your funnel, right? Mm-hmm. Like Thinkific and Teachable, um, which are, you know, big platforms in this space. Their only job is to take payments, which they don't do very well, and host <laughs> the courses, which they don't do very well. So anything else, try to take off. But eventually, if you're making money, you should be hosting your own course, have your own payment processor. You know, you could use something like Thrivecart. Um own the whole sales funnel. Don't use anything crappy like click funnels, you know, like which just 
Jesus, like this so bad. Um, <laughs> I mean, these are all good to start, right? Like if you want to validate, fine. But the second things are working, like get it off ClickFunnels, just copy it over and, and make put it on your website. Yeah. Why do you let Russell know how your business is doing? So you, you can know? get that uh, two comma award. <laughs> Dude, like, you know, I, I've looked into that before. Um, right. I, you know, I have nothing against their business. I think they're a great marketing company. I think the software is just garbage. But the two comma thing, like, it, you know, it's just about how much money flows through, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you could make a dollar profit, but by just moving a million dollars through, you got it. It's like, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, I used to think it's the profit thing, but it's just how much money flows through, you know? And I'm right. like, come on. <laughs> so... You've had so many businesses that you've done. You've jumped around to a lot of different ones, you know, from the music industry uh, to marketing. You know, what what has been your favorite to grow and scale? Yeah. I think the thing I'm doing now is, is one of the favorite ones, you know, because I, yeah. I had great businesses before. Um, but like one business I had, I had partners, which always makes things more difficult. Like other business had like some good moments, but I had other things, didn't put the constraints in place, which made it, you know, like the, the thing I like about mine now is that I do what I want and I have all the control. Mm -hmm. And by being in the space for longer, you know, because I do like being in spaces like as long as possible, like I'm seeing more opportunities now, right? And I can see like, well, if I just want to put a couple online courses myself and sell those, I can do that easy. If I want to put some kind of an app, I'm pretty well researched in this space. So I, I kind of know, like I, I know what would kind of work, right? So it's easier. It makes things much easier, right? But the main thing is it's a good business and I actually don't want to scale my service business. Right because that brings a lot of other problems. So I, I actually just like the way things are and we're looking at other things which we can, you know, build and scale smaller things that I don't have to um, fulfill at all, right? So we're, we're taking that approach. Um, but yeah, I think the thing I'm doing now is my favorite. Okay. Yeah, I, th I could see how that would make sense. You've done a lot of different things now. You've got the constraints. You've got the the workflow you're comfortable with. And, you know, things are, are working well for you. So that's great. Uh, congratulations to you on, you know, going through that process and now getting it dialed into where it works best for you. Yeah, thank you. But, it, you know, it, it does come down to just trying a lot of stuff out. You know, mm -hmm. it really does. You know, like, that's why I, I'm never married to my business, you know, if that makes sense. Like the business yeah. is not my baby. You know, okay. if, if, if I wanted to shut this thing off, I'd have zero feelings about it. I'd be like, okay, well, we're doing something else now in this space. If, you know, I like that more. Right. Um, so I, I think that's good too, to have that separation. Like I was much more involved, like emotionally with my businesses before. Okay. And that's when they usually got out of control. Hmm. You know, because I was like, well, even though everything else is telling me that I should change something, you know, this is my business and I just need to make it happen. Like, you know, that's why you see, um, like there's that show the profit, right? Right. And, you know, until Marcus comes in, like half these people are in debt, not making any money, like about to go out of business and just, you know, 
don't want to change because that's the way we've always been doing things. Like, I, this is my baby. Well, this is not my baby, believe me. If something <laughs> needs to change, it's going to change immediately. Um, and that's, that's one thing that kind of came through experience too. You know, like I, uh, you know, and we, when you see when Marcus come in, he doesn't treat them as babies. He's like, it's a profit machine. You got to put these things in place. Either it's going to work or not. Right? right. And then he's always thinking like, well, am I going to get my money back? Because I mean, that's the point of the business, right? Exactly. You know, like to make money. So I think, yeah, I think eventually you start getting to that point where you're just like, well, it's, it is a business. Like I get it. Yeah. I know. And that's why the funniest thing is when he tries to change the branding on some of these right. businesses. Right. And then like, you know, the people are crying about it. And I'm like, dude, it's just a business. You want to change my brand? Go ahead. I could care less. <laughs> so, let's you know we kind of just jumped into it and you know started talking about your course creations and your uh, marketing courses let's come back to where you first started to have your own business like how did that process go you had sales jobs when was it you decided i'm going to go out and start my own business you know that was more caused by my environment okay you know uh, when I was little, we were in Poland, which was communist at that time. Um, and I seen just how difficult things are. And, you know, my, my dad, to make money, he used to smuggle like liquor and things into Germany and then smuggle VCRs back, then take me to the soccer stadiums and sell it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized that if you, you know, buy something cheaper, here, you know, and, and it was really unfair back then, you know, like a, right. there was no, yeah. Um, you can sell it more here and you can make money and you have some kind of control over your life. You know, where my mom, she was a regular worker and in that system, you know, without my dad doing the hustle, like we would have been living so bad. You know what right. I mean? Like we, everything that we had, like that we were like in kind of upper middle class was because of the hustle. Mm -hmm. And he quickly threw me in. You know, and I learned a lot about it. I used to, you know, like get hustled by these Russian vendors. Like they used to sell me crap. Like they, they sold me a soccer ball. I'm at home pumping that thing up for like four hours. My dad comes in like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to pump this thing up. He looks at it. He's like, oh, they put no rubber inside the bowl. This is garbage. And I quickly learned like, wow. So these type of things happen, right? Like I would look at right. comic books. I would say, oh, this one's pretty cool. And I will look at this one. And then I'd look back at that one. It's now double the price. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I learned this stuff. And then when we got to the States, I've seen on TV, right, all these successful people running businesses and my parents doing three, four jobs at the same time, barely making ends meet, you know, right. barely, you know, like below minimum wage even at some point. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. This is stupid. You know, so I kind of, you know, my, my, I, I hustled my ass off for, you know, a lot of my life to kind of get away from that. Um, the only time I got jobs um, was to get my sales skills up. Like I knew I could sell, but I didn't know why it was working. And I knew I wasn't very polished, let's say. I was more of like that corner hustle guy, you know, who yeah. like can sell, yeah. So I, I went through a lot of corporations and I, you know, I, I took these sales jobs. They gave me training. I hit the streets, whatever. Like I was doing retail, um, inside sales, outside sales, like B2B, B2C. Like I did everything just to make sure, you know, I got all the training, probably like two years worth, you know. And, and then once I'm like, look, if you can sell, you have a business. 
So I was like, I don't need you guys anymore. You know, yeah. they tried to use me as a number to kind of, you know, make money for him. But I was like, well, I guess we used each other now. So we're good. And after that, I never looked back. Like, I'm just, there's no way, you know, like I would see a job and someone's trying to pay me like 60, 80 K. I'm like, I can make that myself and not respond to anybody, you know, right. and only work a couple hours a day. So, but that happened to just a lot of work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, you know, you've got a really inspiring story. You know, you've, you like you said, hustled to the point where now you can control all aspects of your business, you know, control your time. And speaking of time, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. So I'll just ask you one final question before you can, you know, tell people where to best find you and what is it that excites you about the future? So since we're in the online space, right? Mm -hmm. I would assume you are too. Most of your business yeah. is online. Yeah. Um, the last three months have been the best thing that could happen to us. People who never bought or did anything online were forced for the first time in their lives to go right. online and do things, whether it's even just remote working or using Zoom or having their first purchase, right? And it's like riding a bike. Once you do it, and you realize that sometimes it's easier to you know, go buy the bike than walk, you're never going to go back to walking. So For it sure. forced a lot more people now into our space, which in a lot of ways makes our lives much, much easier in the long run. And with a lot of companies now making these decisions, which I think are kind of abrupt, but whatever, you know, it's good for us. We will no longer have offices and have remote workers. Well, you're just making our jobs easier again. Mm -hmm. You're now forcing people into our playing field. Some of these places, we will not have an um, online, like uh, we will only have online classes now for our kids and our students, blah, blah, blah. Well, thank you. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's not maybe the smartest decision on their part. I know they're trying to be careful, but I mean, you know, so maybe it's overdid a little bit. But for us, all you're doing is just pushing everybody that was in that in our space into our space. How is that a bad thing for us? Right. You know? So that's what keeps me excited now. I'm like, man, like, I don't know if you've seen this in your business, but I've spoken to quite a few people in, you know, in spaces like around me. And it's been the easiest time for making money, customers, anything in the last few months than ever before. Like everyone's booked up, everyone's, you know, I'm like, well, like even some of the friends doing Amazon, you know, maybe they're in the right niches, you know, but I don't know. But they're like, we're making money over fist, just putting it away now. And like I said, you know, once you push those people in, like it's not ever really going to go back to what it was. You know, right. like even my mom now, she knows how to do a few things online. Mm -hmm. And you know, she's like, I'm not, Take wasting time anymore. I had no idea. Like I can pay this online or go here or I can, I can get meat from one of the best butchers in America. Cause we, I get her butcher box, right. Which is like mm -hmm. some of the best meat, like, you know, and she's like, this is crazy. Like I would stay in line for mediocre meat in this store. And now you just send it to me. And, and you know, so these things, they changed some of the behaviors. Right. You know? And I, I think 
um, over the long run, it'll greatly benefit us. Yeah, for so sure. Well, how can you not be excited? <laughs> yeah, that's that's very exciting for you, for sure. Um, so I want to first of all say thank you for taking time out of your day and you know jumping on this podcast. Where's the best place for people to get in contact with you or your companies? Um, so if you go to Smart Brand Marketing. Um, that's kind of what everything starts. So you'll see any businesses, anything else I'm running underneath that, but okay. it's the one thing that hasn't changed for over a decade. So Very smart cool. brand marketing. And I'm like, some super easy to get in contact with, but I would okay. just, yeah, start there. Very cool. Well, thank you again. Uh, but I know I've gotten value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten value out of this. So I encourage you to get out there and hustle the day. Thanks for listening to the Hustle the Day podcast all the way through. I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know that I help small businesses with their online strategy. So if you or anyone that you know needs help with their online strategy and owns a small business, I'm your guy. Go ahead and connect with me at Trent V. Bray on Instagram or TrentVBray.com.